0: Today's show is brought to you by Rich Nutrients, New Zealand's premier provider of nutrient-dense whole food products. One of my current favourites is their organic beef and turmeric bone broth powder, and the reason for that is it's so convenient you don't have to go through the whole process of actually making bone broth, and it's super tasty. If you visit their page, richnutrients.co.nz, click onto the shopping page and you'll find a Best Me tab. Under this tab, you'll find all of the products that I use and recommend. Now, as a Best Me listener, you have the opportunity to receive 10% off all orders over $30, which is a pretty decent discount. All you have to do is enter the Best Me discount code at the checkout, which in one word is BESTME, all in capitals. I hope you enjoy their products as much as I do you can also find me at health fit collective which is exactly how it sounds a collective of health and fitness practitioners including physiotherapy psychology nutrition we have movement coaches personal trainers massage and much more our goal is to guide your dreams to reality and we do this both within the club and online offering tailored health plans small group training specialist services corporate wellness and education So please go along and visit the page healthfitcollective.co.nz to find out more. You can also book a free 30-minute consultation with no strings attached. Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you... With the information, inspiration, and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. Welcome back to Best Me Radio and we're at episode 10, which is kinda of worth celebrating. That's amazing we even got here. So thank you for your ongoing support. Now today we have Dr. Verena Rashkichima on the show, and we dive into the subject of eating to get in shape versus eating for wellness. And I mean wellness on every level. I think this is such an important message. And it's funny because when you take the emphasis off aesthetics and place it on well-being and living with vitality, it kind of happens as a byproduct anyway, rather than a reverse engineering approach. We talk about body image and the things we struggle with in today's world. Uh, she has some great step-by-step actions on firstly, how to become aware of these patterns, how to stop them, and then how to create a healthier and better you, including the yogi bogey, rogi burp technique. As you'll find out soon, Dr. Verena is more than qualified to talk about this and shares her fascinating research insights, as well as her own personal wellness journey, uh, which is a very interesting one and I'm sure a few of you will be able to relate to. Before we get to the episode, I just want to update you on a couple of things. At HealthFit, we're just about to launch our spring into summer eight-week challenge, which is like a holistic uh, version of your classic 10 to 12-week challenge, but is far more rounded and has a really strong emphasis on education. So this is going to give you that opportunity to step into the best version of yourself. So I'll keep you posted on these details. We're also launching uh, our free video series. And this week's video was one I did on training smarter versus training harder, which I also think is a really important message. So I hope you enjoy that. Get along to healthfitcollective.co.nz to check that out or go along and have a look at the um, Facebook page. Now... Also a quick note about Dr. Verena, Uh, she's actually the wife of Dr. Bobby Chima, who was a guest on episode four, which is a very popular episode on longevity research, dispelling the myth that we're actually living longer, healthier, and happier than ever before. It simply isn't true. But Bobby looks at it more from a movement perspective, and uh, Verena more from a nutritional perspective. Um, But there's a huge amount of crossover, and wow, what a powerful team these two are. Dr. Verena has also very kindly offered an exclusive discount to Best Me listeners only who are interested in exploring their unresolved conflicts behind their body image issues. This is a 90-minute Skype session and it's discounted from $150 down to $100 and it's only available until the end of October. So if you're interested after this episode, go along and have a look at her website. I'll put the link up. Um, In the meantime, get your notepads out and your pens and enjoy. Today, and once again, we have a very exciting guest, and that's Dr. Verena Rushki-Chima. Dr. Verena is a highly qualified and dedicated doctor in nutritional sciences. She is a passionate holistic nutrition consultant with 10 years of clinical experience, a holistic health expert, a widely published author, academic and researcher, as well as a mother of two healthy boys. Dr. Verena holds a doctorate and a master's degree in the nutritional sciences from the University of Vienna in Austria. Her work on the health benefits of traditional food habits, as well as the colonial and neocolonial forces underpinning the nutrition transition, have been published in a book, leading international peer-reviewed journals, and presented at major international conferences. Today, her historical concepts of the nutrition transition are taught at leading international universities. Dr. Verena has specialized and gained experiences in the field of nutritional sciences in Austria, Germany, Africa, New Zealand, and Australia. Welcome to the show, Dr. Verena, and thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure and honor to be on
0: the show today, Carl. And is there anything I missed there? Because it's quite an extensive profile you have, and well done on that.
1: (laughs) No, you covered it quite well. Thank you very much. Um, The only thing I would add is that um, I'm now going into clinical practice more and more with combining um, not only my nutritional knowledge uh, that I've gained over the years but also uh, the neurotraining neuroscience side that goes a little bit deeper into really identifying what the underlying root causes of the symptoms are that people experience uh, on so many levels so that's also kind of my uh, passion and my curiosity that led me more into that area
0: well that excites me a lot two of my favorite things nutrition food and uh neuroscience so i'm really (laughs) excited to get into this um firstly i'd like to ask you you know what drew you uh into wellness and and into studying this
1: i think i was always very curious about what is kind of the optimal human diet and i was always very interested in improving human health but for me um when I was like 18 and you have to make this profound decision of what do you study, uh, what are you going to be for the rest of your life, okay. I look, looked at medicine. But then um, when diving deeper into what the medical profession is about, I wasn't really interested in just becoming really um, more of a prescriber than really um, assisting and facilitating people in achieving their best health by supporting them through a more holistic framework. So I decided to study nutritional sciences um, because I was more interested, I would say, in the food side mm. rather than just studying the anatomy, physiology, yeah. and uh medical side by a medical model as such
0: yeah so you like to see the the practical side of it as well obviously
1: yeah i was very interested in more the practical side Mm. um
0: yeah Mm. that's correct Mm -hmm. that's great so i know we've had a little bit of a talk about this uh, in the past but can you share your journey through your study you know your personal uh health journey um and it sort of leads quite nicely into the the topic today and that's looking at um you know our relationship with ourself, or you know, looking at eating for slimness versus eating for wellness. So you said you had a few, few interesting insights during your your study time. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was always, a, I would say, a girl and a woman. Then that I became that was always not really concerned about body image and what I would eat until I actually started to study nutritional sciences um, at the age of nineteen. Mm-hmm. So studying nutritional sciences was very interesting for me because, of course, you're exposed to a myriad of knowledge that you learn in so many areas. But on the other side, I really became quite analytical due to those studies in regards to what I was eating. Mm. So I was basically becoming somebody who was analyzing every little bit that i would put on my plate and what effects it would have on my body due to the knowledge that i learned so that can become quite a stressor for the mind so i was actually rather confused than helped with through my studies because you were exposed to so much knowledge that, on the one hand, yeah. you learned what foods would be beneficial for you. For you yeah. But on the other side, you, you know, we, we learn a lot about, particularly when you think 10 years, like, you know, uh, into the 1990s, when we had the um, low fat, uh, saturated fat, is yeah. so detrimental for our health, and that all being uh, learned and promoted. Yeah. So I actually then experienced I experimented really with my body um I would say that in the way that I started to consume less and less fat, so I actually experienced what negative health outcomes it would have to be on a low-fat diet, Um, and I lost a lot of weight, I ended up with insomnia um, and a lot of other health issues, so that showed me really, okay, what we actually learned is not beneficial. So I had a lot of questions coming up for experimenting with uh, the learned knowledge in nutritional sciences. Then um, I also became a vegetarian over time, which was very interesting for me because it actually led me down further in the spiral of what your body goes through, particularly as a woman, when you are that cyclical being that has very different needs um, compared to men, that are, again, not really taught to that extent at university. Uh, again, more looking at the holistic me rather than the mm. very... Um,
0: wow. Well, yeah, I, I can relate, right to relate to a lot of that.
1: Yeah, so I was not really feeling at my best by going down that spiral, I would say, of low-fat vegetarianism, and um, it... It, and then, then, of course, um, the whole, you know, fitness industry on top of yeah. that. But what I really saw is that not only my studies, but also the environment was really critical in having that influence because at the age of 20, we are really like shaping our identity. And we are quite, I would say, vulnerable at that age because it is a lot about uh, fitting in being accepted mm. being loved by people so that makes us very vulnerable when we don't have a strong identity at that age um, and it's probably very challenging to have yeah. uh, around in your 20s to, we are very vulnerable to those environments we are in, uh, and for us for me that was nutritional sciences and being surrounded by very body image oriented um, circle of friends so coming from a really, a strong personality that was always interested in holistic health and appreciated that the body, um, as it was, I would I was get, getting basically very confused into, are uh, we he, between okay, loving my best me uh, and version of myself, but on the other side, I was striving to be this more outer perfect yeah. me, looking a certain way, right? So. Yeah. It really took quite a long time, I would say, um, until I got out of that spiral. And that was more when I changed my environment. So the change of my environment basically meaning completing my master's degree um, and changing kind of the environment I was living in in Europe and moving to um, New Zealand and um, completing my PhD, like basically really completing my the majority of my PhD there um, before I moved to Australia really enabled me to change that view um, of and, and create that stronger identity of we don't have to strive for this outer perfect body image that is that we are so surrounded by in so many areas of our life. And particularly, of course, through studying then the traditional indigenous food habits for my PhD could really show me the bigger kind of essence of what life is about and what health particularly is about. And that really shifted my view into we it's we we are so in when we study um and it can be nutrition or exercise in a lot of areas of life it's not it's it's too fragmented and and too too analytical and not looking at the the holistic really
0: yeah yeah i find that's a um, there's so many things there i'd love to (laughs) dive into that that was great um I can relate to a lot of that story you know around that same age for me was when you know I started you know competitive bodybuilding and I was eating and training to you know debatably to to look good on stage um and it really did take a lot to to come out of that that mindset and almost like that uh that mental illness to an extent because you you constantly you know judging yourself as well.
1: Yeah. I agree with you it's it's actually we, we get so it's it's actually quite dangerous that vicious cycle like you said you get so caught up in your mind mm. that you are actually Like you are take, you are actually almost removed more from reality because you're more in your head than you are in the present moment reality. So that also means that you don't engage healthily with your environment in with the loved ones around you because you're constantly in this self dialogue of. In, in relation to your body image it, it's get, it can get quite deep and I agree with you, I was also quite down that spiral and it takes a lot of, like first the spark of awareness have, has to be created that you have that problem within you and once you get, be, become more and more aware in that, um, you seek help, you know, you, you uh, really have to change your environment mm. and have to put those Enablers into your life again to help you getting out of the spiral and actually connecting to your core self again, and then be like putting the steps in place to live like and nourish yourself again from love and not from punishment and fear. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. totally agree. Um, I'm going to pull it back a little bit because I think um, to to look to go forward we need to look back so i'd love to dive into uh your study actually with your phd um and i'd love to dive into you know some of the insights you you got through your study and actually could you please uh, explain to people what uh your 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 postgraduate study was in and what you actually really looked at Mm -hmm. so
1: my postgraduate study was um quite interesting and a unique project because it um, was actually offered to me. Wow! So what we looked at was basically the the development of an online collection in in relation to indigenous and traditional East African food habits, and really per, like con, like preserving that knowledge because. Mm. The indigenous knowledge is so threatened to be lost um, and there is really so much wisdom in this knowledge that particularly in regards to counteracting the non-communicable disease epidemic that we face today, it's really, really paramount that we look more into the wisdom of the indigenous people. And um, so I was offered this um, amazing series of observational research studies that was collected by the Max Planck Nutritional Research Unit, uh, formerly located in Bumbuli, Tanzania, East Africa, that was operating between the nineteen thirties and nineteen sixties. So there were a lot of studies conducted in in various indigenous. um, tribes there in regards to their indigenous food habits their customs their health status was analyzed in that particular time frame not only in Tanzania but also in Uganda and Kenya so those three uh, countries of East, East East Africa. So they have conducted all the, those studies, and they were just stored um, in Karlsruhe, in Germany. Hmm. Uh, and the professor that really has the the main leading professor um, published maybe two articles about it, but that that was it. And and that kind of collection we entitled it the Alters of collection because what that was the leading professor that uh, provided uh, and provided me with the collection for the PhD and said, well, let's look at it and actually see where it leads us. So I really analyzed that it was a really interesting empirical research where I analyzed the entire collection in so many areas um, and with particularly quantitative research. But what it really showed us is that there was a very – Varied, very diverse um, indigenous traditional food habits still available, particularly around the nineteen thirties. But then, between the nineteen thirties, um, more towards the nineteen sixties, in that time period, there was a major nutrition transition actually happening mm-hmm. that people relied more really on inferior food. Diversity decreased tremendously, and we had a lot of malnourishment Mm -hmm. that was documented within those tribes. So then um, I looked particularly more into not only the colonial, but also the new colonial forces that underpinned that nutrition transition and developed a whole concept of those forces that really were underlying the eradication of indigenous traditional food habits and leading to that double burden of disease that particularly um, people in the third world countries are challenged by so that we have malnutrition on the one hand. But then, of course, the non-communicable diseases, meaning the cardiovascular diseases, the Type two diabetes, uh, the cancers, uh, obesity, wow. um, and so on. That they're really faced by the, that double burden of disease, mm. and the change of traditional food habits that those colonial and neocolonial forces led to can really be really used still and are very, very, I would say, essential to look at. Even in 2017, because we still are challenged by that change of traditional food habits today in our everyday life. And what I just um, had the opportunity to research in regards to East Africa is actually can be, I would say, also that happened to every indigenous culture all yeah. over the world. So yeah. every every indigenous culture that was colonized may like was it Australia, yeah. was it in New Zealand, was it in North America, and Africa, uh, just to name a few. Yeah, we had the same colonial, new colonial cha- challenges mm. that led to the current um, challenge with yeah. the disease epidemic that we face today. Yeah.
0: And what were the main sort of? Um, I guess looking at it from a pr- uh, practical sort of perspective, mm-hmm. what were the main dietary or lifestyle changes that were noted around that time that caused this um, malnutrition and disease?
1: So the first uh, that was noted that the fruit, colon, like fruit trade, I would say trade was the first. Um, that and in the nineteen thirties through colonization we had really the refined denatured food components that were introduced. Yep. So the the sugarcane, the maize, the rice, the wheat, still one like the world major food crops today that are really one of the main issues mm. of our disease epidemic. So they were really the core of also leading to the disease epidemics in the indigenous populations that we have never seen before Mm. so we looked at a lot of like um, indigenous like Maasai cattle herding people, the hunter gatherers the agriculturalists, so we had very different lifestyle and food habits really, Mm. but besides the refined denatured foods of refined sugar flour, uh, the white flour we had the vegetable oils or Mm-hmm. Um, the polyunsaturated fats. We had the ca- canned food, condensed milk being introduced. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the list today is much higher. Yeah. Then we had really a uh, decline in diversity. So, indigenous traditional food crops. And even also hunter gather areas were really diminished and redu- reduced in size uh, through the colonial mm. forces, through the cash crop economies, the agricultural techniques yeah. that were introduced, and the displacement of indigenous crops uh, yeah. was all a, a big one, too. And then we had the Besides the refined, in nature's foods and decrease in diet uh, biodiversity, uh, we also had the food practices being changed. Meaning that traditional in, in indigenous food practices that were really a lot about soaking, sprouting, fermenting, naturally leavening—that mm-hmm. um, was all affected. So,
0: so traditional food preparation basically was was cut out
1: it was uh, cut out to a very, very large extent, I would say.
0: (laughs) Sorry, carry on. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, and that that also meant that the indigenous knowledge disappeared more and more Mm. about what foods to consume, how to um, prepare them, breastfeeding diminished in that time. Ah, Interesting. Uh, What is really interesting too, and the the amount of meals that were actually eaten we could see that less meals would be consumed um, so mm-hmm. contributing to, contributing to the malnourishment then through urbanization that came a little bit later, uh, we had more eating alone, so not eating in the communal sense, sh- sharing of the food. So the social sociocultural practices changed too. Mm-hmm. Then um, with the urbanization, and that is the problem that we face a lot today, the snacking was introduced. Indigenous people never snacked. We really had the intermittent fasting in between meals, right? Mm-hmm. That is so important for weight control too, mm-hmm. that we actually the body can start burning fat instead of just continuously yeah. burning carbohydrates, yeah, and um, yeah, so that was really the change to from a really diverse food culture to very mon- monotonous foods of very inferior nutritional value.
0: Fantastic! Sounds like a lot of this, uh, your work actually reflected, uh, you know, and Dr. Weston A. Price's work, for example.
1: absolutely absolutely it was one of i would say that's a book that i would recommend highly um the physical degeneration by weston a price a lot of my research really was a confirmation of his research
0: (laughs) you're pretty much the the modern day weston a price
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's just we we looked um more than into the political economic forces that underpinned actually that nutrition transition
0: fascinating Um, okay so yeah there's a snapshot into the past and and also <laughs> a little bit into our uh, our present as well um, yeah and and just to sum up that was so basically what you're saying is the the introduction of refined foods um the slight social isolation when consuming these foods um and the, our whole relationship with our food and each other probably changed quite dramatically
1: it changed quite dramatically mm-hmm. i i would agree yeah
0: it's a little bit scary, isn't it, especially if you look at the way we're set up currently, like um you know, currently I'm sitting in a house on my own, um but this isn't an uncommon thing you know a lot of people live in single bedroom apartments now um you know consuming their microwave meals um mm. at you know twelve o'clock at night that's <laughs> a little bit uh concerning
1: it is very concerning and we we like the Basically, the disruption of the family unit was actually one new colonial force underpinning the nutrition transition, because with urbanization, you know the whole lifestyle changed. Women had to, once in a sudden, go off to the workforce. So by women, women being quite an important role um, in nourishing the family, and and I think this this view of women and being the really Nourishing part for the family has been also a little bit shaped in a way that, um, well, why do women have to still be in the kitchen and cook? Well, it's I I totally agree we can share that and, and, you know, men as well as women can look at it. But we really have to look at the deeper value set that we provide here for our family. So um, instead of just stigmatizing it, it's um, really in in a very important role that women as men as as well as men have, mm. in uh, providing the nourishment for the family because there is no shortcut. But in today's society, by, you know, the economic forces that we have that it almost takes two incomes now to live yeah. a certain lifestyle, uh, there is a certain shortcut, and nutrition is definitely one of them.
0: Mm. No, that's um, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, so much we can dive into there again. Now, where we're at today, currently, you know, um, this is a, a a common thing I see, and there's this paranoia of, of getting fat, or more, I mean, there's, you know, we're, we're, I guess we're pleasure seekers and pain avoiders, right? So, um, there's all these images of these slim, athletic-looking bodies all around us, you know, on TV, on the posters in the gym, um, everywhere, on our phones, I feel like... There's more of a pull towards eating to be like that, you know, Kim Kardashian or, you know, Khloe Kardashian uh, and a a fear of getting of getting fat um, versus actually eating to nourish yourself. Um, How do you feel about that? Would you like to comment on that? Uh, Would you agree with it for a start?
1: I still agree that I agree with you in the sense that we are still more in still the movement of the perfect body image rather than eating to nourish ourselves well. So there is definitely, I see uh, in, in the last 10 years, there has been quite a big movement and change towards um, availability of healthier food choices, like more forager markets, more um, people are getting more into growing um like buy the food at farmer's markets, uh, are more seeking organic, pesticide-free, chemical-free food. Yeah. Um, that's definitely the case. Um, also with more whole food cafes and restaurants opening up. But there is still, I would say, a huge trend into eating to be the perfect outer appearance rather right. than nourishing your best, you or me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it it comes a long way. But what I always see is like again, it's like um it it, it takes a momentum really um uh, to to change that slowly. And I think the more people like I see a change but it may still take a few years to, mm. to shift it. But it, it's definitely It's on the way. I see definitely a shift slowly happening. But, I mean, what we also have to consider with the majority, and you said it with the the media that's around us, the forces that are around us, you know, are quite strong and quite powerful uh, that we as individuals actually have to resist almost against because when we look at the real economic cycle, it's not really – It's it's rather a disease um, a a disease cycle yeah uh, Yeah, and rather a disease control rather than. health prevention. So when we look at all, you know, the the supermarket aisles, when we look at the fast food outlets, so all the choi- food choices that are available, they are really not supporting of health. And it makes it very challenging for the consumer, actually, um, to be strong enough to resist it and have that awareness of making healthy choices. Because the I would say the solution to the nutrition transition and the non communicable disease epidemic that we face is not pharmaceuticals. They won't cure it, it's really lifestyle changes. Yeah. So we have to be quite strong to shift away from the high sugar, high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Uh, like high starchy foods that are in everything nowadays yeah. in in like honestly sugar and high fructose corn syrup like which is more dangerous than sugar is in so many packaged foods yeah. and I know it's not the easy solution um and not the most time saving solution, but the 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 only way is really to get into real food again because mm. The bottom line is there is no shortcut to nourishing your best, your your best you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I find that um, taking that focus. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Taking the focus off weight loss, which is you know ninety percent of why people usually mm-hmm. come to see a trainer, for example, and you might see the same, and focusing more on actually, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. Um, it takes a lot of pressure off. it takes a huge stressor off that individual, and as a side effect um they often get a lot in a lot better shape, a lot slimmer, and they feel a lot better anyway. so almost like you know you look a lot better as a side effect of a healthy life versus so much focus on trying to look good that you go around in this uh the circle and the spiral and you're constantly you know burning and crashing.
1: I agree with you in, in that sense. And that's where nutrition and exercise are vital. I, I really highly yeah. recommend to people just eat, like, just per- first look, people are perfect how they are at the current stage of their life. But if you want to feel better, then really start it, like start somewhere. Yeah. Like, um, so in terms of nutrition, you know, like, and i don't know where you want to start here but it's like uh, <laughs> because it's it's so comp- like uh multi-layered but yep. it, it it i would say if you do 30 percent of the recommendations that you are provided with you're gonna definitely see a, a change so in terms of um eating better in terms of Get connected with your food. Like, start really mm. um, shopping for uh, food that is more closer to the source where it actually comes from, mm. um, and more pesticide chemical free, more organic um, in 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 all all areas, and um, as well then with the consciousness about how you eat how much you eat um, and we can talk about those tips a little bit later but uh, I agree with you too when people start on the journey of eating better and more consciously they will see a change and it's individually a little bit different for everyone because we are very unique constitutions yep. but Overall, when we start eating better, we yep. will feel better, not just physically, but mentally. And that helps us to strengthen our foundation and start actually shifting, not only in our physiology, but also in our mind. And mm. it's the same with exercise. We have to change the environment uh, where we and how we exercise, because I see it particularly with men and women when uh, we we engage more in the outdoor communal like non-gym environment that is less attached to the body image again because you're more out in nature you're more out like um, there is less focus on the body image by not being surrounded with the stereotypical um, gym environment yep and people actually uh, particularly with uh, strength and resistance training it's uh, i can just highly recommend it it's like people get strong within the physiology and mind and that just is the i would say really first step uh, in mm. on going into this ch- journey on becoming your best me. yeah
0: so it's, it's kind of like trying to reconnect with what it is to be human again.
1: <laughs> absolutely, so, absolutely. Okay,
0: what What would a human have eaten, you know, 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago? What? How would they have moved? How would they have been socially connected? Um, and then trying to inject that back into your life? Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. So going back, uh, just of course, in the current setting, in the current lifestyle you have, but really going becoming closer to the source in terms of exercise and um, nutrition because we are part of the nature we have to kind of step out of living in this little microcosm that Mm -hmm. is just our like our like our basically physio our body and like be aware of that concept of that we are this like part of this macrocosm we can't uh, separate ourselves and mm-hmm. the more we connect the micro and the macrocosm the more and, and go back to the source with of course the current time frame the the better we, we start to feel and embark on this journey on self-enrichment um, and a loving um, self-healing journey Yeah.
0: So just, just for the listeners as well, I mean, there's so much information out there. There is, There is still a huge, um, you know, fat phobia. Um, I yeah. see a lot of it. I'm sure you do too. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much information. Um, I see a lot of people literally exhausted uh, trawling through articles, magazines, TV. Um, just when they think they've got a handle on it, something pops up on on the news saying that actually fat is bad again or, you know, or even the other way around. Mm-hmm. How do people sort through... Uh, this information or misinformation, and sort the, you know the the misinformation from the real um, facts. How do, how do we go about that? Yeah, that's, that's a, a tough good
1: one. question. <laughs> yeah. So the first, the first thing that I think is important to be aware of that everything that's on the internet, you know, that's ready, readily available via Google and so forth, is is not. It's not evidence based and it, it is, it's everybody can put it on. There is no, yeah. uh, there is no screening of that information. And even when you, so you have to, I think people have to just develop a, a, a critical mindset again. Yep. so yep. just a little questioning more so where does that come from and who has a vested interest by providing this information and even when they go down the way and try out certain things it's like well has it worked for me uh, or when I they try something new how do I feel with it yep. just um, if you do research try to really look behind is there a re- reputable source behind it okay. like does it, does it really have a uh, like some empirical evidence and, and uh, it's just some best practice behind it. But yeah. even though, you know, there are a lot of recommendations out there, like, um, a good example is like saturated fats, fats are bad for us. Yeah. It's like that is still, we have to not so much anymore now, but if we would look 10 years back, you would, you would have needed to dig quite deep to find the true information mm-hmm. on yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, but I think of what is a lot um, with information generally. I think we seek very often for in- information to confirm our own belief yeah. system. So it's it's like a confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. So I think the more awareness, at the same time, we create about what is driving our search for information,
0: yeah.
1: um, the more aware we become of our own kind of information bias and fears mm. and belief system and misperceptions yep. and unsupportive Self-judgment, habits, yeah. Self-judgment, sure, sure. the more we can look at what is actually realistic because what can happen is like even though you would present the majority of people with the correct information yeah uh and you give them all the evidence of for example why um the saturated fat is important in your diet um because out of fear a lot of people would still not consume it
0: yeah totally I mean I see this happening all the time um, yeah you know, I guess I guess um part of that question is how do you make that evidence based Uh, information stick as well and and, or transform it into application as well or does that happen as a side effect do you think
1: once people like just out of clinical experience like when I recommend it to my clients I provide them with the evidence uh, why whatever you know recommendations are good for your health Uh, they try it out and they see actually the improvement in their health then they stick to it it's just i think people really have to be convinced that it is not dangerous um and they are not going to for example when we go back to saturated fat they're not going to gain (laughs) yeah they're not going to have a heart attack and they're not going to get a fatty liver and they're not gonna they're not gonna gain (laughs) weight by starting to consume um saturated fat in their diet Mm. so um i think what is also important is when it comes to that is underlying that people are more working out of like intelligence again rather than fear
0: yeah so i think a
1: big a big underlying factor um, is to eliminate fear people have and, and that's what i do a lot in my clinic too is like like look at the underlying root cause of even the best recommendations won't, won't work. People may not take them on when there are a lot of fears or unsupportive habits or misperceptions there. So why? Because when people, when we generally, when we are, when we are coming from fear, then we are more work. work We're working more from the cerebellum, the automatic um, side of our brain that is not solution-oriented. So we are not working from the intelligence part of our brain. We are working more from really the autonomic part. So that means we're just really, again, getting more into that fight-flight potential Mm. mode when we are in fear a lot. That just feeds into
0: that cycle, doesn't it?
1: It, it feeds into the cycle. It, it goes into our muscles. And because we are not um, the cavemen again, you know, that actually experience that fear on a physical level and yep. start, you know, um, running uh, from yep. the danger. Yeah. The the fear back then would have been released out of the muscles. But when the fear comes more from the emotional mental problems that we create through our experiences, then it's still stored in the muscle and that fear will still cause uh, a pattern actually to become become habitual. And that habitual pattern that Mm. basically leads us to be in alert all the time. So we don't... We don't use intelligence. We are basically in survival mode. So we are going like, do we have enough food, money, shelter? Yeah. And it's, it's really again, we think outside of the self more than being inside in terms of looking really at our core self. It's more about then, um, so we are not really internally calm and working from our creative, intelligent, solution-oriented yep. side.
0: That's fascinating. Yep. So this fear can physically manifest, um, and does that? Do you often see that present itself in terms of uh, muscular or joint pain or inflammation?
1: absolutely it's, mm. it's exactly can be the cause of that and what we, we really have to be quite aware of the power of our mind because mm. when exercising for example particularly when we do repetitive muscle um, muscle movements may be with running or certain exercises when we do strength training uh, anything that's a repetitive muscle movement the the thoughts, repetitive th- thoughts, get locked into the muscle. So hmm. we have to be very conscious of are we thinking positive or negative because when we have those negative body image thoughts or fear thoughts, they get locked into the muscle and they get reactivated every time we do that repetitive same movement again. I, I notice that a lot even with muscle. My- yeah, I noticed that even a lot with myself because in my twenties, what my main exercise was, I was running
0: yeah.
1: um, every day. So I had a lot of negative body self uh, image, self image thoughts when I was running. So then, um, when I stopped running, you know, for and, and did a lot of other um, exercises uh, for uh, quite a few years, uh, and then I started running um, more continuously again i actually noticed that those thoughts would come up again when i was running mm. uh, and particularly when i stopped running i would have those self-doubts again oh i should look like you know dude do, do, is, is that part sense. of my body perfect enough or i actually have to work on this again and mm. i was very conscious and aware that it would come up again so we have to be Again, very aware about our thoughts when we particularly engage in repetitive movements.
0: Oh, wow, there's a great little uh, note to that one, uh, listeners. That's, that's a, there's a great gold nugget there. Um, that's fascinating. So I guess a lot of this comes down to a mindful existence, you know, being mindful of your mind and you're mindful of your movement and mindful of your food. That seems Correct. to be a common trend. That's, that's, that's really interesting. And from a practical perspective, you know, uh, some of the clients I deal with um, or many of them actually that do have, um, you know, body image issues are often, they often have a lot of uh, pain and inflammation associated with that too. So that kind of helps explain uh, some of the science behind that. Um, So thank you for that.
1: (laughs) Yes, you're very welcome.
0: Mm. So people that are locked up in the spiral, um, that know they have body image issues, um, mm. that are constantly um you know fighting themselves how do they begin to uh step outside of that
1: i would say what's really important is change your environment as much as you can so a big one now that we have a lot of you know media that we're constantly su- mm. sur- surrounded by that really changed um over the 10 years is that actually removing ourselves or if not removing, then changing and being very critical of actually what we expose ourselves because we punish ourselves by looking at the particularly Instagram um, is less, uh, I would say,
0: it's ag- s- aggressive select- it- Yeah
1: yeah it's it's like even if it's instagram or or tv or facebook or print media print media is a big one too like why 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 do we do we really need to expose ourselves to the perfect body image that's promoted in the media every day and how often per day or can we let go of it do we let go of it how much better do we actually feel Mm. so that's really a big one like um getting aware of how you feel when you expose yourself to certain pictures that's and great. and do you do you really need to make yourself feel like that mm-hmm. so that's that's a really big one and go out into nature again um you know if it's with friends by yourself doesn't matter but connect that's really connecting it will yeah. connect yourself more to your true nature and you and it actually then makes you because there is no there is no filter in nature, so it actually makes you more aware of your own thoughts um, and what you may need to work on. Mm. And those fears, those you know, unsupportive habits, beliefs, negative motivators may come up and you can start working with those, really identifying the triggers and causes. What's also a big one, I think, is because the brain, the brain doesn't really think in words. It thinks in colors and images. So therefore like imagination is a big one. So in regards to body image we we can think we can take so much time in a given day to actually think negatively about ourselves. Yep. Like this part is not good enough. This part doesn't look perfect enough yet. Mm. I would rather, I would rather look like that and compare ourselves constantly as well. Yeah. So why, why not change that as a little practice, um, you know, in the evening or whenever it suits you is like, imagine yourself actually looking really good. Mm. Like I'm imagine, yeah. And feeling good, exactly. So feeling good and actually start talking to your body because the body responds. Because when we think that self-talk, this, the negative self-talk basically has to be replaced with positive self-talk. Yeah. So even when, when we go to bed, you know, thanking our body for... The, like being healthy, for being vibrant, for su- like like supplying, uh, like providing us with so much abundant energy. Like actually, the body reacts to that. Being grateful, than, yeah. yeah, and and being grateful to what we actually have because mm-hmm. we only have this one given body in our lifetime. And um, so the the imagination and positive self talk is really important in That's regards right. to our po- bodies. And um, just loving ourselves more by actions as well, daily actions. So uh, whether it's with food and and food, for example, it's like we don't need to be perfect and have this perfect nutrition because we are all human. So not punishing ourselves when we fall off the wagon and indulge in something, saying that's okay. And then we hop on the wagon again, yep. and um, carry on with with our routine. But it's like, again, it's come to when we develop a really strong core. So this healthy um, nourishment within the home, it doesn't matter if we indulge outside of home a little bit more, because we mm. have this really strong foundation at yeah, home.
0: Same that's great. With,
1: same with exercise. It's important to have a strong exercise routine that you like. So it's not about punishing ourselves yeah, again. It's
0: so good <laughs>
1: with, with with CrossFit, you know, and with. <laughs> What we have to do to look perfect—it's like what do you enjoy, and then oh, so get, get get into that. What you really love doing, yes. because it's <laughs> it's again it's the motivate. Like they ha- it's sustainable
0: have to be, as well, you know. As,
1: yeah. yeah, and then it's sustainable exactly because it's that internal motivation, not your external motivation. So and and that's again coming from connecting more with yourself.
0: Oh, that's um, so good. Best music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's 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 great, and and so much of what you're saying actually is um, reflected in some of the commonalities of the, the you know the healthiest and longest living populations in the world, the blue zones, um, you know, around community, getting in nature, um, yes, gratefulness, yes. enjoying your movement or movement being a part of your life, not something separate, eating real food, enjoying that food together as a community. Mm. You know, all of this is reflected in these commonalities of these happy and healthy people.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree with you, and this is what we are slowly going back to, and that's what assists actually people like in the in becoming the better version of themselves, it's like we love comu- com- community, like the, the commonality. Seeing that, so by going to farmers' market, to foragers' market, and eating, sharing beautiful food, and mm-hmm. buying nourishing foods, and connecting with people there, makes us actually does so much more uh, to our whole being mm-hmm. than just just okay. going going in a supermarket, getting the groceries, and going home. And it's the same with the exercise environment. Once we start exercising on a on a on in, in groups that we and we start connecting yes. and talking out things, it oh. nourishes us, our, our whole being. And then it's again, like we said, uh, it's exactly like we've done it um, in different ways back um, in the indig- as indigenous cultures, but the principles are the same.
0: That's so good. That's so good. Um, so. You know, that's, there's, there's, there's so much in that. And I heard someone talk the other day about, <laughs> I really enjoyed this, uh, social media being the junk food version of community. <laughs> it looks like community and it smells like community, it even tastes like community sometimes, but it's not the real thing. <laughs> and in fact, it's harmful on your being versus, um, you know, real community, you know, has so many nourishing properties to it. Yes, um, yes. I
1: really Ash.
0: enjoyed that analogy.
1: That's correct. I agree with you on that. That's a fantastic analogy. And I actually we have to learn to self control ourselves actually with, with social media because it can be it can get quite addictive and dangerous.
0: Yeah. Do you so just this thinking of tools, like are there any tools in particular or any techniques you can recommend to the listeners just to you know to get started? Any ones you've found particularly useful in your practice or personally?
1: Yeah. Well, the first big thing is become really aware of the controlling forces, meaning how food is controlled, by whom food is controlled, and health is actually not invested in the the interest um, of those controlling forces Mm -hmm. behind the food um, industry. Um, With fitness industry, um, yeah, also look at, again, what are, what what's the outcome so for becoming the best me is like first step is removing ourselves again from the insidious choices that are put in front of us right do we really have to engage with them so there's all the way to what exercise we can do what foods we can buy and social media do we really need to engage in it so much um yeah. So that would be the first one. Um, and then a lot um, about my interest is also in mindful e- for e- mindful eating from earth to table, really. Oh, I love that. So that means, as I mentioned already before, we should take time to identify where we can buy quality foods from, um, really nutrient-dense, because... It's really important to know where they come from because not particularly and or like Pesticide-free, or chemical-free, or even organic food out of the supermarket may not necessarily have high nutrient content, yeah. depending on what soil it is grown. Yeah. So the more we get to know the, particularly foragers and and farmers markets, or even um, around my community here, we have uh, local farmers that you can go to and buy your vegetables and eggs and all that. Yeah. Then you know the vitamin A, for example, in D content that is so important. Um, Mm. For pro- protein utilization and and um, uh, mineral absorption and so forth is really important to know
0: glyphosate uh, free.
1: <laughs> yeah, is are the eggs um, and you know the animal products and uh, the meat are they actually really coming from grass fed yeah. pasture uh, pasture fed cows? So. Yes, yeah, so really knowing where your food comes from, um, enjoying actually, and taking time to go shopping and source that and buy it, mm-hmm. and then preparation techniques. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, at your current st- stage, if somebody is a vegetarian or not. Depending on where people are, everybody benefits yeah. from the right f- food preparation techniques to remove antinutrients and. Um, yeah. And improve the digestion of those foods. So get in touch again with proper food preparation techniques. And then eating habits. So a big one is eating without distraction. So that yeah. means we are not eating while on the phone, while while working, while on the computer, or standing. Simple as standing when we have a quick um or quick lunch, sit down. That is actually your nourishment. It's your yeah. time for yourself. That's great. Um, so without distraction then food quantity is always a big one and people ask me well how much can I actually eat everybody is really unique I cannot look inside and and I don't have an idea how big Mm. your stomach is currently (laughs) so there is this um really uh, very fascinating um yogi bogey rogi burp kind of (laughs) philosophy that I was taught when I was studying with an Ayurvedic doctor for three years in New Zealand Um, it's basically quite interesting so when we eat uh, and that also includes uh, of course sipping of water like water Uh, a little bit of fluid should always be uh, taken in with with food Um, then the first burp we have is is our yogi burp. That's kind of when our stomach is half full. And it's kind of a really healthy sign of to stop eating at that point.
0: Okay. That's right. People, that's a good practical term.
1: Yeah. Some people may say, well, I don't get this first burp. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of under eating or there may not be enough liquid, but that's fine. It's just yep. kind of a guide. Yep. When we really indulge and eat for pleasure, very often we have that second burp. Yep that's fine stomach is three quarters full we should really don't engage in that too often for healthy weight maintenance and longevity yeah. but also once in a while fine if we would go for you know running sushi uh, or you can eat buffet then you're definitely gonna have the third verb yeah uh, this is when your stomach is completely full and Again, you, you, you don't you don't feel very well that's too much exactly right. so just taking that yogi book we yogi bogey rogi burp philosophy
0: <laughs> yogi, bogey, rogi, of, that's great i'll put that in the, yeah. in the show notes <laughs>
1: yeah for food food yeah. quantity is quite yeah. interesting to know uh, and it's great because honestly you can teach that a four-year free four-year-old then go oh, i had my first burp that's yeah. enough now ah, <laughs> it's very cool. quite it, it creates that awareness and consciousness about food quite yeah. early in life with children yeah that's great uh the next one is observe actually the effect food has on you yeah. um so and, and you, we can start it with ch- children with adults. Um, it's it's really the body awareness. Yeah. So, so in terms of hydration, you know your your urine should have that the chardonnay color, that very light yellow color to chardonnay know that,
0: color. Great.
1: that that you are hydrated. Yeah. That you can observe, you know, self checking. Do I drink enough throughout the day continuously? And if you know, how does food? actually make me feel so if we feel nauseous or we have an indigestion or a little bit of a loose stool on the next day it's like okay so why what Mm. did i eat the last two days did i even have a bowel movement you know Uh, so really observing the changes and actually not being afraid of talking about that it's very often a taboo topic within families but it shouldn't be because that's really a like a check-in for us, yep. those natural urges and, and whatever, you know,
0: great.
1: we we eliminate is actually a reflection of our health. So yep. like starting to observe that is really good great. and yep. what it does to us. Yes, yeah.
0: great. So we're coming up for time, um, mm-hmm. but I have one more uh, question for you. And that yeah. is, if you were to inject the entire population with one piece of information, an idea or even a question, what would that be?
1: I would say it would the two things that go hand in hand is what would be the world if we would know ourselves from the core and love ourselves
0: mm, nice that's great, very short, succinct, and so powerful hey um thank you so much, Dr. Verena. that was uh, so insightful um, I love hearing your story um the background uh you know reconnecting with what it's like to be a human again um and you know i think we really dived into you know undoing some of the the top the environmental toxins and and i'm not just saying in terms of pollution i'm saying in terms of you know social media and tv and everything that's thrust upon us um there's so much and there's those useful tips at the end of fantastic so thank you so much for sharing your wisdom um that was so much fun um where can people find you at the moment
1: People can find me on Facebook, on on my website, on Instagram. And, <laughs> Ironic, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's it's healthy images that are posted there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, also, so my web, yeah, drverina.com dot com um, is basically uh, the website where people can find me and yeah I really enjoyed talking to you today and just sharing a little yeah. bit of my experience and
0: yeah I'd love to have uh, to talk to you about a few other things but that, that was great. That's such a great um, foundation and thank you again.
1: Yeah you're very welcome thanks Carl. I yeah. really enjoyed
0: it And thanks to everyone who's listening as well so please go along to the wellnesscouch.com. Um, or or best me uh, sorry bestme.co.nz um, or even have a look on iTunes um, and subscribe and I'd really appreciate it if anyone could leave me a rating as well um, as that sort of increases the exposure um, you know of this fantastic information um, so thank you to all of the listeners as well and we'll see you next time.